following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessing to sing those songs. And uh, we're going to take a break from uh, Sermon on the Mount today. And, uh, well, we were, we've got one more sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, but the way the timing worked out, uh, we're going to hold off until January to, to put a bow on that series. So, it's hard to believe, but uh, this is, including today, there's only three Sundays left in 2021. And, uh, and so, I want to dedicate the last two Sundays, or, or the last two Sundays of the year, uh, we want to focus on uh, the, the birth of Christ. And so, today, I wanted to just take one more stab at, and sort of wrap up our, our series for, or our theme for the year, uh, Devoted to God. And so we, we've talked a lot this year uh, about the fact that uh, as a Christian, uh, God has set me apart to a special relationship with Him. So kind of like uh, Israel in the Old Testament, or more specifically the priests in Israel, the, the temple, the tabernacle, the, the furniture, all those various things, they were set apart from what was common as a special possession of God. They belong to Him. And in a similar sense, if you are a Christian, you have been set apart uh, as a special possession of our Savior. And, and therefore, because we belong to Him, we must live holy lives that reflect our standing as temples of the Spirit. And uh, this morning, I, I want to wrap up this theme uh, by looking at what, what I would consider at least to be the central New Testament text regarding holy living. And that's 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 13 through 16, which say, uh, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now when I look at this passage, and I would imagine when you look at this passage, the thing that jumps off the page uh, is the, the, the standard that God sets for our conduct. I am to be holy as God is holy. And that really is a shocking expectation for God to put on sinners like us. I mean, you read that, and if you're like me, you think, you know, God, I could handle be holy like the neighbor down the street. Or be holy like the guy sitting next to me at church. You know, or maybe even be holy like some really significant godly spiritual leader. But be holy as God is holy? I mean, you might as well ask me to swim to Hawaii or jump to the moon because there's no way I can even begin to imagine doing this. And yet, that's exactly what God says, not once, but twice, in both verses 15 and 16. Now, of course, that's not all God says in this passage. This text also is going to offer incredible hope and encouragement that we can pursue this goal. And it's going to demand that we do so. So I think it's good for us to close out our theme this year by, by looking squarely at the, at the standard that this text sets. 
and committing by the grace of God, not just in 2021, but for the rest of our lives, to live lives that are devoted to God in pursuit of His holiness. So with that in mind, let's dive into this text. And, and you may have noticed as we read through the text that there's a lot of actions in this, in this text. And, and in our English Bibles, there's several commands. But, but in the Greek, uh, in, 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 when Peter wrote this text in the Greek, he, he told us pretty easily, or told us very specifically, how I as a pastor should outline the text, which is really nice. He told me my outline, and he gave me my outline in the sense that, that there are two Greek imperatives in this text. And so the first imperative... Uh, is the imperative in verse 13, at the end of verse 13, to fix your hope completely on the grace of God. And then the second command is in verse 15, where it says, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So, so everything else in the text really uh, gives the structure and builds around those two central commands. So, so my outline today is built on two commands. And the first command is, or first challenge, is focus on future grace. Focus on future grace. Now again, as I've already said, really where where we tend to think, where we tend to focus our attention in this text is completely on that second command, right? Be holy in all your conduct like God is holy. But but this first command in verse 13 is, is equally important to the second. Because I can guarantee that you will always struggle to do verse 15 unless you approach it with the perspective of verse 13. So, so we really need to give verse 13 its due. And I'd, I'd like to make two points from verse 13. And the first is that future grace must drive holiness today. Future grace must drive holiness today. Now, now as I mentioned, the center of verse 13 is that command at the end of the verse to fix your hope completely. So, so Peter really wants to drive home the fact that hope is central to the Christian life. And in fact, that hope is central to the pursuit of holiness. So specifically, I must hope in, what's he say? The grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now what's he talking about there? Well, well Peter here is reminding us that someday Jesus is going to come. He's going to return and he's going to rapture his church. And I find it fascinating that that he refers to us meeting Jesus as grace. As we enjoy a lot of grace today, don't we? We enjoy the grace as Christians of justification, forgiveness, spiritual strength. Of course, there's many other blessings that we enjoy. But you know, the pinnacle of God's grace will be when I see Jesus face to face. And I am perfectly conformed to the image of Christ so that I can live with Him forever and ever. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 describes it. It says, when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And once I am conformed to the likeness of Jesus, once I am perfectly holy, I will be able to live in His presence and enjoy His blessings for all of eternity. And notice just a couple other things in this text about, or in this this chapter about what Peter says about this hope. He says in verse 4, he says that we have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Everything in this world is temporary. It's all passing away. But my eternal inheritance is secure. 
and it will never change. And, and because of that, uh, look at what he says in verse 6. He says of this great inheritance, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And so, so he says there that, that the trials that these people are enduring, they are overwhelmed with their joy at the hope that someday they're going to be with Jesus. It's worth anything we're going to endure here. And it outshines anything that we could endure here. And notice in verses 8 and 9, the joy this great hope inspires. It says, and though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So, you know, life can bring us some great joys. We enjoy a a lot of blessings of God on a daily basis. But even the best joys of this life, they're all temporary. But future grace, it's eternal. It will never fade away. And because of that, Peter commands you to fix your hope completely on that future grace. So in other words, I must discipline my mind to to have an undistracted focus on that day that I'm going to see Jesus and the life that I'm going to have with Him forever. You know, it's, it's, I should be like an, an Olympic sprinter, you know, who just, you know, when that gun sounds, he sees the finish line and everything else fades away. I, I see that finish line. It consumes my focus. And so I must fix my hope on this grace. And, and, and Peter says that this is essential to my pursuit of holiness. Hope is essential to holiness. Now you might ask, well, why is that the case? You know, why do I need to see heaven in order to rightly see my struggle for holiness today? I think the simple answer is, is that our flesh strongly resists God's demand for holiness. Right? I mean, we like the pleasures of sin. We enjoy the things that God says no to. And so if you are going to pursue holiness, if you are going to live this text, then you are going to live a life that is characterized by self-denial. You know, it's never fun to say no, though, is it? You know, it's never fun, for example, to to shut off a movie that you're really enjoying and you're really into, but you can see that that you can't watch it in a good conscience. It's never fun uh, to turn your eyes away from something that, that is gratifying your flesh and lusts. It's never fun to stand up to a, an ungodly conversation and say, this is inappropriate. And yet, pursuing holiness is going to create those disappointments and many other every day of your life. It's always going to be hard. So, so how do we keep pursuing holiness? How, how do we keep pursuing holiness from just becoming sheer drudgery? Sheer misery? Oh, i got to say no. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I wish I could do that, but God says I can't. How do we stop it from being that way? The answer is, is that you fix your hope on future grace. We must let eternity dominate our vision. Because because if all you see is this world, holiness will never make any sense. It never will. But but if I see Christ, and I see that my hope is that someday I'm going to be like Him, and, and I'm going to enjoy all the glories of heaven through holiness, well then suddenly, why would I waste my time on the junk here? And just start down that road of holiness today. 
So, so focus on future grace. And as you do, it will transform your pursuit of holiness. But of course you say, well, that sounds great. But we all know it's a whole lot easier said than done to fix your hope on the future grace. And so, and so the second truth from verse 13 we need to see is that focusing on future grace requires discipline. Focusing on future grace requires discipline. And, and Peter makes this point with the two challenges at the beginning of verse 13. He says that I am to prepare my minds for action and keep sober in spirit. Now, now that first statement, prepare your minds for action, uh, in the Greek, it literally reads, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that sounds really weird to us. Like, what in the world does it mean to gird up my loins? All right? And, um, but, but in Peter's day, it was, a, it was a relatively common picture, and it's rooted in the fact that in the ancient world, uh, people generally wore really long, undivided garments. So, so basically, everyone wore a skirt, all right? Now, now I don't wear skirts, all right? And uh, probably there's some point in my childhood where I put one on. I'm sure every kid does that at some point. You know, but, but you know, skirts, from what I can tell, from what I can gather, you know, they're probably not so bad if you're just walking around casually. But if you need to run, you, know, you need to participate in a game or you need to do heavy manual labor, they're not exactly all that great. I mean, have, you ever, have you ever watched a girl try and run in a long skirt? It, it's, it's kind of entertaining, you know. And I, I remember when, it, when I read this verse, I'm always reminded of my years in college. You know, so I went to college in northern Wisconsin and we would get just loads of snow every winter and, and every year around March it'd start to warm up a little bit. And, uh, and so we'd start to get these huge puddles all over campus and and in particular, there was this one gravel road that ran from the girls' dorm to one of the main classroom buildings. And, and one of the great pastimes for the guys is to stand on the second floor and, and watch the girls run to class and dodge these puddles because, because the college made them wear skirts to class. You know, and so they're trying to jump around and, you know, their feet can only like stretch so far because they're wearing these long skirts because it's still, I mean, it's still only like 35 degrees. And, and so, and it was, it was interesting and uh, it was fun, you know, and, and so it's hard to run. It, it's hard to move well if you are wearing a long skirt. And, and therefore, you know, what, what Peter is saying, the picture here is that if someone in the ancient world uh, needed to do some athletic activity, or they needed to fight in battle, or they needed to do strenuous labor, they would, they would take these long garments and they would tuck them into their belt so that the garment would not get in the way and inhibit their ability to move and, and, and do what they were trying to do. And what Peter is saying here is that if I am going to fix my hope on future grace, that I have to, in a sense, tie up the loose ends of my mind. You know, that I've got to take all the distractions and all the cares and, and all the, the things of life that, that compete for my attention, and I've got to tie them up. I've got to take control of all of it. And then next, he says in verse 13, that I need to be sober. Now, of course, when we think of being sober, we think of the opposite of being drunk. Uh, but, but the idea really, uh, uh, ultimately, is, is that someone who is sober is someone who has a clear mind, uh, a focused mind, and, and they have complete use of their faculties. And so, and so everything for this person is focused on future grace. And so again, Peter's point is 
is that if I'm going to maintain an eternal vision, and I can't meander thoughtlessly through life, bird, dog, you know, this thing, that thing, no, I have to be sober. I have to take control and, and focus on where I'm going. So, so Peter tells us here that maintaining an eternal focus doesn't happen accidentally. It requires that you discipline your mind and that you avoid distractions. And, and that is a very relevant challenge for our day because, because we have lots of distractions in our culture. I mean, we've all got... You know, we've all got this thing in our pocket and we've got endless distractions right here. And, and then we've got the radio on, the TV on, we've got this going on and that going on. We have distractions all over the place. And so many things are pulling for our attention. And our culture tells you to just let it go. Have a good time. You know, just live in the moment. Enjoy yourself. However, we as Christians must discipline our focus. Because the reality is, is that your focus determines your passions. Where you look is what you will love. You know, just think of it this way. You know, let's suppose, you know, a little kid is baking cookies with mom. And they bake this batch of cookies. You know, this kid's looking at them and they, you know, got these, you know, hot chocolate chips. They look so tasty and he can smell them. And then mom throws the cookies in a cookie jar, puts them up on the shelf and says, no cookies now, these are for later. And she walks away. Now, now, if that kid stands there and just continues to stare at the cookie jar, what's eventually going to happen? He's going to come up with some reason why he needs to take one. And, and the same is true of us. That if I live my life just constantly focused on the world, my, my, my focus, my attention is completely on the things of this world, and I'm not filtering everything through the grid of eternity, then, then, then I guarantee that you are not going to accidentally arrive at an eternal focus. No, we will always be focused on, on the world and the pleasures it offers. And as long as that's the case, as long as my mind is wrapped up in this world, holiness will never look attractive. It never will. And it will always be a burden. But, but on the other hand, if I discipline my mind to see my hope clearly, then I will want holiness because that's where I'm going. And we can pursue it with joy. So, so don't let the world control your focus. And take control of the things that shape your mind. You know, so, so put lots of reminders in your day of spiritual truth and, 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 and glories of heaven. You know, prioritize your, your time in the Word, your, your prayer life. You know, spend time with godly people talking about godly things. You know, put yourself as much as possible under, under the influence of, of biblical preaching and teaching. Meditate on Scripture. I mean, we know these things, right? And the key is that we have to do them. Because if you are going to live a life that is devoted to God, it must begin with an intentional focus on eternity. So, so fix your hope on Christ. So, so my first major challenge is to focus on future grace. And then the second major challenge is conform to God's holiness. Conform to God's holiness. Now remember with verses 14 through 16 that the center of these three verses is the command in verse 15 to be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. But, but to appreciate that command, all right, 
then we need to recognize how it is that Peter develops it. So, so I'd like to give four challenges here about pursuing holiness. And the first is, is you must rely on God's present grace. Rely on God's present grace. You know, so just back in verse 13, we talked about future grace. But verses 14 and 15, and this is something we can easily miss. But, but they make a couple of really important references to God's past and present grace that are essential to pursuing holiness. So first notice that verse 14 makes a contrast. And so first of all, how does it describe the unbeliever? It says the unbeliever lives in ignorance. Whereas how does it describe the Christian? Peter describes the Christian as an obedient child. So ignorance there, of course, reminds us of the fact that, that, that those who are lost, those who do not know God, they are ignorant of the glories of heaven. And they foolishly pursue temporal pleasures and values. So you know, lots of unbelievers like to tell you how smart they are. But, but Peter says they are ultimately ignorant because they do not see the world from an eternal perspective. And you take eternity out, it's all messed up. And so they are blinded in ignorance. And yet Peter describes Christians as obedient children. And so the idea there is that Christians are children with a nature for obedience. So obedience is part of who you are as a Christian. Now, now you may look at yourself and look at your sin struggles and think, the last thing that anyone is going to describe me as is an obedient child. I mean, not me. I I struggle to obey. And yet notice that all of this is rooted in in what God has done in His children. Look up at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter tells us, he reminds us as Christians that when you got saved, You were born again. You got new life and a new nature. And and, and therefore, no matter how spiritually weak you are in and of yourself, you have a radical new power to live a transformed life. And the grace of God, that, that new birth is so powerful in your life that Peter can describe every Christian, not just the really spiritual ones, as obedient children. That's who you are in Christ. That's so encouraging. And then as well, uh, there's encouragement in verse 15. Because verse 15 reminds us of God's present grace when it describes Christians as those who are called by God. Now, now when we think of God's call, we, we generally think of God's invitation to salvation. You know, God's call to, to repent and be born again. But, but really, the main point here in verse 15 in context is that God has called His children to holiness. He hasn't just called us to, to go to heaven someday. He has called us to be different. And, and, so, and, so, and so that framing, folks, is so important because it means that, that verses 15 and 16, those commands that we're going to get to, they're not commanding us to do something that is impossible. And yes, God is saying, I demand a lot, and God gets that. But, but He is also saying that I have personally assured the fact that if you are in Christ, you will do this. 
I will make you holy. And someday I will finish the process in glory. So do not forget the grace of God and the promises of God as you pursue holiness. You know, don't ever look at a biblical command and say, that's impossible. I could never do that. No. Believe that through Christ, you can. You are an obedient child whom God has called to, to holiness. And he will accomplish his purpose. So, so rely on God's present grace. And then the second challenge about the command to pursue holiness is separate from worldly values. Separate from worldly values. So again, verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Now, now that verse reminds, of course, of well, Peter's original readers. They, they were people who had been saved out of paganism. So he reminds them there that before you came to Christ, you lived in absolute ignorance. You were were ignorant of God and of His truth. You were blinded by Satan and sin. But as we've said, Christ rescued us from all of that. And as a result, Peter commands them, do not be conformed to the former lusts, or you could say the, the passions or the desires of unbelievers. So, so Peter says, do not let the world you know, press you into its mold so that you think like the world thinks and so that you love what the world loves. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about that this year. That, that if you look at holiness and worldliness purely in terms of behaviors, holiness is just stuff I do and stuff I don't do, you will always struggle to resist the world. Because your flesh wants the world, right? Or or what will happen, if you don't address the heart, is you will develop a hypocritical form of holiness that looks really impressive on the outside, but ultimately is just another expression of pride and selfishness that's inside the heart. No, we must always remember that worldliness, as we talked about a few weeks ago in 1 John chapter 2, is first a value and philosophy system. And only then a set of practices. You know, because unbelievers, uh, fundamentally, their problem is not what they do. Their problem is that they do not look at the world with a God-centered, gospel-grounded, eternal perspective rooted in Scripture. Their values and philosophy, it's all about this life. And it's all anti-God or without God. And so unbelievers can come in lots of shapes and sizes. You know, they can have lots of different expressions and dress different ways and have various practices. But they always live in rebellion against God and His gospel. But God has called us to an entirely different way of thinking and an entirely different set of goals. So so He commands us here, do not be conformed down to the level of how you think and what you love. Of course, that requires discernment. That that we've got to take the time to to look at the world and identify not just that looks bad or that doesn't look bad, but to think what are the values at stake here? And and what are they calling me to believe and think? And then by the grace of God, as as Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we've got to think like blood-bought Christians who are on their way to heaven before we will have any of hope of of changing our conduct to please our Savior.
So, so do not conform to the world. And then the third a challenge about pursuing holiness is we must conform to God's character. Conform to God's character. Now, as I already mentioned, uh, the second major command in our text is found at the end of verse 15 where God commands us, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Now, now notice with that statement, first of all, that there are no exceptions to this, right? I mean, he says, in all your behavior or all your conduct. So, so I can't take a break from holiness when I'm tired. You can't say, well, I just had a really long day, so I don't have to be holy tonight. He doesn't say that you can take a break if, if something is really fun. Like, like, I really like this God, so I get an exception clause. You know, God is not on board, and God is clear here that He's not on board with the idea so common in American Christianity that, 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 that the fact that I'm saved through grace means that I can take a chill pill on holiness. You know, that, 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 that grace means you know, that, that God just cuts us slack and we can do what we want. No, God says, be holy in all your behavior. And then notice, you know, if we're not sure what exactly what that means, Peter defines the standard for us very clearly at the beginning of the verse. He says, we are, he says like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So the standard is what? The standard is the holiness of God. So to put it very simply, God says that you are to imitate my holiness in every aspect of your life. And I do think that that this is not just in what I do on the outside, that based on verse 14, it includes my mind, it includes my affections, it includes every action. Everything about me is to align with the holiness of God. Now that is something to really consider, isn't it? Because 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says of God, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. You know, so God is not pure just some of the time. Or, or when it works out well for Him. No, God is pure light. Positive holiness. And on the flip side, there is not the slightest taint of sin or impurity in Him. There is no darkness in Him at all. So God has no skeletons in His closet. You know, God doesn't have this one little part of His character that's reserved for, for fleshly indulgence. No, He is all light and no darkness at all. And here in our text, the Scriptures take that standard of who God is And it puts it on us. I am to imitate the holiness of God. So every aspect of my life, every thought, every action, every passion, every motive of my heart is to be pure as God is pure. And then the fourth challenge about pursuing holiness is that we must appreciate the significance of this demand. So, have you ever had this instance where someone asked you to do something and and you think that po- they can't possibly mean that. You know, so you show up at work tomorrow and your boss says, hey, you know, by, by 2 o'clock I want the whole warehouse cleaned out. And you're like, yeah, right, that's not happening. You know, or a teacher says, you know, tomorrow when you show up to class, you are going to write from memory 
you know, Macbeth or something absurd like that. And you think, there's no way that they can mean that. That that must not be a genuine request because that's impossible. And so we just dismiss it and, and we walk away. And, and you know, that might be your reaction to verse 15. Like God can't possibly mean that I am to be holy like God is holy in every part of my life. So I'm just going to pretend that God's joking. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, add the, you know, add my little, uh, you know, thing in there to, to make it work for the way I want to be. Now I suppose that you might, all right, you really couldn't, but you might be able to pretend that you could get by with that. If you know, if, you know, maybe maybe Peter's just not being real clear. You know, maybe I'm just misunderstanding him or. You know, this, he's writing just, just a couple decades before the canons closed, and so maybe, maybe you know, he's a little bit off his rocker here. Maybe he's getting a little old and senile. Well, well, Peter figured you might think that. And so in verse 16, he reminds us that the command that he gave in verse 15 is not something new. Peter did not come up with this for the very first time. No, he, what's he say in verse 16? He says, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And what he's doing there is he is quoting God from, from 1,500 years prior to Peter's life. So at Mount Sinai, God said to Israel in Leviticus 11, verse 44, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And then God repeats the same command in Leviticus 19, verse 2, and again in chapter 20, verse 7. So God had told Israel 1,500 years before Peter, the standard of your conduct is my holiness. Now then we might think, well, yeah, but, but I'm under grace. I'm not under law. You know, so Jesus answered that. We saw that this summer in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus says, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus affirms that same standard, and now here in our text, Peter says that the same is true for us. And so Peter quotes uh, all these, these, this idea in verse 16 to make the point that verse 15 is not just some suggestion or, or Peter's opinion. No, he is giving to us a command of God that has been at the groundwork, at the, at the, at the foundation of the biblical ethics since the very beginning of time. God's holiness always has been and always will be the standard of human behavior and conduct. So, so let's take some time then and reflect on what this means for us. You know, if you're a Christian and God's Spirit is alive in you, then, then hopefully He's already at work and, and you're thinking about, what does this mean for me? So I want you to think about where does my life fall short of the holiness of God. You know, where are you willfully disobeying Scripture and just saying, it's okay? Because I've got this little reason over here that makes it okay. You know, where are you not loving people and serving people consistent with the love and sacrifice of Christ? You know, what, what's that secret sin that no one else knows about so you can get by with it without any consequence. And you've just said, this is okay. You know, and, and I'm going to keep doing it. 
What is that secret sin that that you know Christ would never tolerate? And God says that anything in your heart, anything in your life that is inconsistent with the holiness of God, it needs to go. It needs to go. And you need in all your conduct to reflect Him. Now, 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 we all have a list of excuses and reasons why we can't do that, right? You know, we're like that kid looking at the cookie jar and, and, and we can come up with some pretty creative stuff. So understand that it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter how much you really love that one sin. It doesn't matter what you've been through. How hard your life has been. It doesn't matter how someone has hurt you. Any of those things. God doesn't give any qualifications. You know, it doesn't matter that you're addicted to some behavior. And, and if you took this thing out of your life, there'd be this massive hole that would, would be nearly impossible to get rid of. At least that's what you think. You know, God doesn't say, be holy unless you've had a hard life. Or unless someone is a jerk. Or unless your life is really hard. You know, God doesn't say, be holy, but if you've had a really bad day at work, now you can go home and blow up and be a jerk or, or go, you know, go to the bar and get drunk or, or whatever it is that we would think. No, God says, conform to my holiness. Be like Christ. So, so whatever it is that God's Spirit is poking at you about, then, then by God's grace, just commit that I will be holy as God is holy. And of course, we have to bathe all of this, right, in the things that we talked about previously in the sermon. So as I look at that sin, I need to see that sin from the perspective of eternity, not through the perspective of my flesh. And understand that nothing on earth is slowing down my pursuit of that day. And yes, I'm not ever going to achieve perfect holiness in this life. I will fail. If I chase after verse 15, I'm going to fall on my face Lots of times. And yet I have to remember that I am an obedient child. I have grace in my life and through the power of God, I can make progress. So so pursuing holiness is not a fool's errand. It is in reach by God's grace. And someday, someday I'm going to see Jesus. And He is going to finish the process. So I'm not not chasing after something that, that I'm never going to get to. I'm going to get there. So, so chase after it in, in confidence in Christ and in the hope of eternity. So Christian, pursue the holiness of God. Be holy as God is holy. You know, be, live a life that is devoted to Him. You know, and one more thing that I always want to emphasize is that we don't do any of this right to, to earn a place in heaven. God doesn't say, be holy as I am holy, or so that you can go to heaven. If that's what God said, we'd all be doomed. Because Romans 3.23 says that we all fall short of the glory of God. So there's no way that you will ever achieve the holiness of God. Verse 15 is not telling you how to be saved. It's telling you how to respond once you are saved. No, our only hope of salvation is, as verse 3 says, that we can be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So so you don't just need to make some changes to your life. You know, 
fix this here, fix that there, do a little better, get a little more focused, and then I can earn my way to God. No. I need a radical transformation of everything who I, of, of what I am. I need to be born again through, through the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So if you have never believed on Christ for salvation, then, then the first thing you need to do is you need to acknowledge your sin for what it is, repent of it, and place your faith wholly in what Christ accomplished on the cross. And if you do that, you can leave knowing that your sins are forgiven. And you can leave knowing that you're on your way to heaven and that you have power to live this life. And that will matter for all of eternity. So if you have not been saved, please come to Christ today and be saved. And if you are saved, now keep going. And see the hope of eternity clearly. And fix your eyes on that day. And do not rest until you get there. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you and run with patience the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the admonition of this text and the encouragement as well that it gives. And Father, I pray for any who are here that do not yet know Christ as Savior. Lord, would you please break them of their sin and bring them to salvation. And for those of us that know you as Savior, Lord, none of this is new. But Lord, we need lots of reminders. And so God, I pray that by your grace, we would not conform to this world, but that we would conform to the character of our God and that we would pursue holiness, that we would pursue radical change through the strength of your Spirit. And so God, give us strength to do that. Help us, Lord, to lean on each other to lean on the gospel and to go forward in your strength. And, and God, I pray that, that, Lord, we would not stop being devoted to God at the end of 2021, but that we would live lives that are devoted to God for as many days as you give, looking forward to perfect holiness in your presence for all of eternity. In Christ's name, amen.